that their play on the field put them toward the back of the line. Kaiser doesn't see him. Ball is out. There always seems to be one team further behind. All right, gang, welcome to the Brown Notes podcast, where we let them rip on the Cleveland Browns. My name is Scott. And this is Rico, and we are in deep, deep, deep in the black hole of the dead space before training camp still. Um, But that's okay. We'll do all the hard work for you. You don't have to go trolling around twitter or the internet or anywhere else looking for some browns material because just come here we got it for you we did all the digging for you so um hey did you know um that the supplemental draft was just recently i had no idea right i don't think anybody knows nobody really cares about the supplemental draft anymore um i guess there was a couple of i don't know i could be wrong on this i don't even care there was a couple of wide receivers that were available and i guess nobody picked anybody in the supplemental draft which made me think and this was just like probably an hour ago so this is completely not prepared i texted you that we were going to do a little spontaneous discussion on this um no research necessary we're good um so I thought about Cleveland's involvement in the supplemental draft. Do you remember the last time Cleveland was involved actively in the supplemental draft? Uh, let me take a guess. Tom Hecker, Josh Gordon. You are right, sir. You are right. Josh Gordon. How'd that turn out? Pretty damn good, actually, for a supplemental pick, right? Yeah. I mean, you know, I mean, it didn't really work out for us. He was here like six years, but... He should have had a great career, but didn't. But I remember being very happy when we uh, when we pulled that off. Yeah. So, and I remember, I remember, uh, you know, the whole all all the baggage was made well known right at the time they picked them, and so so that was that was common knowledge before he even put a uniform on. So, hey, man, we've talked about that. We beat that horse to death. But more importantly, the Browns' other involvement in the supplemental draft. And this is why I wanted to talk about why something like this will never happen ever again. I'm not going to go. We're not going to go through the story about how Bernie manipulated the 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 the, the, the supplemental draft, but just how, how why for, for those of you out there who don't really understand why we as Cleveland Browns, generally speaking, love Bernie Kosar so much. This is one of the reasons. And so just to kind of recap, Scott, let's recap this for those who might not. We're not going to go into detail because it's all out there. So essentially, BK was an economics major at Miami, I think, right? Economics, I believe. Something like that. Yeah. I think he was an economics major. And after his he he was preparing to graduate after his sophomore year 
which is ridiculous right there. Just that by itself is crazy town. Oh, yeah. so he was preparing to um, and everybody knows BK's from, you know, he was originally from Boardman, um, which is a southern suburb of downtown Youngstown. So he's basically from Youngstown. Um, so he was getting ready to graduate after his sophomore year in college down at Miami and the supplemental draft. He wasn't going to graduate. Well, I don't know the, he, he, the timing of the graduation didn't mesh with the actual draft because I think there was some, he was finishing up a semester or something. I don't remember the details, but the point is he really, really wanted to play for the Browns who had, I think at the time they had the, the first pick in the supplemental draft or something like that at the time. Hmm. So he manipulated his availability date to make him to make sure that he was available in the supplemental draft and not the regular draft, knowing full well that the Browns were going to pick him because that's who he wanted to play for because he's from Youngstown. That's disgustingly ridiculous, isn't it? I mean, who does that? Uh, a guy who would knock out two degrees in two years. <laughs> yeah. You know, so. I mean, are you purposely bringing this up on the 13 year anniversary of the decision so we can get like a perfect yin and yang? <laughs> ah, I forgot about that. Hey, I'm taking my talents to Miami. I mean, Bernie did. He took his talents to South Beach. He did, man. He took his talents and then he took his talents back to Cleveland, right? Well, then so did LeBron eventually, though. Yeah. I mean, Ohio has a weird kind of like relationship with Florida. We're kind of That's Florida true. of the North and Ohio has always kind of had like a weird relay. Like there's actually a connection between Northeast Ohio and Miami in a weird way. That's true. And, and, uh, I, and, and my cousins and a lot of my family, when I was little, we all had a mass exodus from Cleveland to Naples. So I know there is a, like an invisible pipeline between Ohio and Southern Florida. I have no idea why I don't know what it means, but it's real. Um, so, so there's that. So you have this guy in Bernie Kozar that manipulates the NFL draft uh, and the NFL supplemental draft so that he could play for his favorite team growing up. So that's one thing. So part two is that, he wound up being really damn good. They went to what four AFC championship games while he was a starter, three or four, right? Uh, three, three. Bernie had Bernie had 86, 87, 89, and then and the AFC championship games with yeah, the Browns. Okay, and then yeah. he had another one with the Cowboys, but he he was a backup at that time, but did get game time in that NFC championship game. If you remember, he has a ring. He got a ring with, uh, he got a ring with them, I believe. Yeah. And he actually got playing time in the, I don't think yeah. he got playing time in the Super Bowl. He might've took a knee, but he, um, but he got playing time in that NFC championship yeah. game, as I recall. Oh, and by the way, uh, the Dan Marino fake, fake clock spike to get a touchdown at the end of that one game a long time ago. That was right. Bernie. Co that was Bernie Kosar's idea. He is the one that actually thought nice. of it. So anyway, so you have this guy who um, manipulates the supplemental draft winds up have, 
that stretch of run aside from Otto Graham and and the stretch that when Jim Brown played, I mean, since 64, that was the best stretch of football since 1964 and still is the best stretch of football since 1964. So he's the he he's the second best quarterback that the Browns have ever had in its history since 1946. So there's that. And on top, and so then when the guy retires, he still lives in Northeast Ohio. He lives in Manaway, actually, which is which is like Manaway. For those of you who don't know where Manaway is, it's kind of like it's in Portage County. It's kind of like a a uh, it's in the southeastern Greater Cleveland area, like towards Streetsboro and um, like Ravenna and all that kind of country area over there. So, he, so he still lives in Northeast Ohio. He still loves the Browns and he does everything in Cleveland still. So this guy has spent his whole professional career loving Cleveland and doing everything he can for this city. And that's why it's not about for BK. It's not about, it's not just about, that he had a great stretch of football. It was all the stuff that surrounded it. It was how he became a Brown to begin with. And then it was how he is dedicated his post NFL career, loving Northeast Ohio as much as he ever has. It's just crazy. And, and I, I thought of all of that as at like about an hour ago, when, when I saw a thing on the internet about the supplemental draft just hitting, and it made me think of all of that. And I just wanted to, run that through you and see if you had any thoughts on that. Well, I do have thoughts on it. My, my thought is one, it's kind of fun to, to kick around. Um, cause it's kind of a weird thing to have an anniversary on the supplemental draft. It's almost like no, it's the one NFL event. No one thinks about everything else. They've made a huge deal out of the NFL still doesn't market the supplemental draft in any way <laughs> it's coming. Um, you know, what's funny about it though, is I think about that window of time and, Bernie played what from 80, what 85 to 93, right? Somewhere yeah, in there, like that. yeah, with the I, Browns, he, yeah. I mean, yeah, 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 right. And wasn't he uh cut in 93, I think, with Belichick? Yeah, I, I could be mistaken. There. Um, Close but so what is that? I mean, that's that's like you know, five, it's like eight years, right? So when you think about it, like we think of that time, like we romanticize it as like forever, right? Like that, that was like, like, like it was this long ass window of time, you know? <laughs> know. And it was I like know. eight years, like LeBron's first tour of duty here was seven, you know? I mean, it, it's just a weird thing to think about, but because we just tend to think of that window of time, like, like, like it all slowed down, you know, like it was but it really was just a short window. Eight years is nothing. I mean, Miles Garrett's already been here seven. And if you think about that, that's like the entirety of Bernie Kosar's career. And Bernie Kosar is a legend, right? In Cleveland. And Miles Garrett has almost equaled his entire tenure here. But no one talks of Miles Garrett that way. And this isn't to disparage Miles Garrett. And we romanticize all of this because of the winning and because winning is so rare in this town, right? It also gives me hope because you talked about, well, that's really been the only pocket of winning this franchise has had since you have to go back to Blanton Collier, Paul Brown, you know, era of the team. And it's true, right? 
But if you think about what that did, even if that was just a brief window of like eight years, few playoff appearances, yada, yada, right? A 12 and four record and 11 and five record, a couple heartbreaking playoff losses as kind of inconsequential as that might sound to like a Steelers fan. That's one, like, you know, whatever, a gazillion division championships and has won Super Bowls and has been to a million AFC championships. You know, our small taste of success is is nothing in comparison to what others have had. But what it did was it laid the groundwork for a lifetime of fandom for a bunch of Gen Xers who were coming of age to watch that era. And so it doesn't take much, I guess, is what I'm trying to say, because I've been hooked on this team my entire life because of those that small window of time, because of that eight-year career, which is a drop in the bucket, especially as you get older, you realize how eight years is like nothing. Like I fart eight years for breakfast now. It's like nothing, you know? <laughs> and <laughs> true. But we talk about a lost generation of Browns fans. We talk about 20 plus years of awful football, but it doesn't take much. It doesn't to win back and capture hearts, minds, imagination, and lifetime fans. Because I invested myself so much in those Bernie Kosar era teams. I'll never turn my back on this franchise, no matter how bad it gets. And frankly, I've been battle tested. Thank you very much. It couldn't get worse than what we've already seen. Right. We hope. <laughs> right. But the point being is, though, it planted those seeds and it built that love affair with the franchise over a small window of time with really just one player, Bernie Kosar, you know? So it could happen again. It might happen and it might start to happen this year. And I'll be honest with you, we spent last week's episode talking about Baker Mayfield and, and I said, I'm not really a fan, but you know what? Baker was about the closest thing we had in this town to building that kind of like, he had that hardcore fan base that captured imagination of people 20 years younger than me who found him relatable, found him likable and saw themselves in him. And had they, you know, had he worked out, he would have been that next guy, you know, to build that next generation of Browns fans. It doesn't matter whether or not I can relate to him. I'm elderly, but it would have built that next generation, right? So the point being, though, is what I take away from what you brought up is it doesn't take much. Bernie wasn't here that long. You know, no, I looked it up eight years, 85 to 93. You were exactly right. And, and yeah, I mean, when I think about what you said, you are so right because, you know, those years, I mean, they didn't, yeah, they went to, they went to three AFC championships during his time in Cleveland. And that's pretty damn good. I mean, that's, oh, you know, yeah. Buff Buffalo gets praised for going to four in a row. Um, if yep. you remember, um, during a similar time period, but yep. I mean, really, when you think when you think about those that eight year time period in the grand scheme of my coherent lifetime, which is probably 80 from like maybe 80 or 82 is when I really started seriously watching football around 82 ish or so. Like when Dan Marino was Dan Marino again, when Dan Marino was drafted, um, it's it's nothing that even though they went to three AFC championships, 
that that time period in the grand scheme of it is fucking nothing, dude. It's nothing. It's nothing. But for us, I don't. I, I as you were talking about this, I was thinking about him. Like, what was it about that time period that was so fucking magical? I don't. I still can't wrap my mind around it. But everybody who was coherent enough to to remember watching that time period, it was like fucking manna from heaven, dude. It was yeah. like the most magical thing you could ever watch, even with the drive and the fumble and all that other fucking garbage and the diminishing skills and all that other shit that went on, all the disappointment that went along with it and zero payoff. Scott, remember that Yep, zero payoff. It was like the most magical eight years of 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 any fucking sports experience I've ever had, and I can't explain it. Yeah, I, I don't understand it. It's, I think it's a couple things. I mean, I think that for one, at that time, the Cleveland then Indians, okay, who were who are a special team in this town, you know, and baseball was pretty big in this town, um, but by the time you got around to 1985 baseball had all but died and there was constant talk about the team being moved the team had been bad for a really really long time and they were in the american league east and the then indians never finished outside of fifth or sixth place in the american league east for like 36 years Watch the recap at the beginning of Major League. It gives you an actual history, you know. Of yeah, that was the that, that's true. That was the time period when there was like five thousand people in a yep. in a in a seventy thousand seat stadium, and you could pay three dollars for a bleacher seat and wind up behind home plate by the third inning. That's that's the Indians. That's what that was. Anyway, sorry. Go ahead. No, you're good. It's it makes a great point, Rico. Is that you? You so you had a really down window of time for one of the signature franchises in Northeast Ohio. Then on the flip side, you had the Cleveland Cavaliers who were only 10 years old at the time, right? And they had had the miracle of Richfield and they hadn't yet arrived at the Lenny Wilkins era of the team. They, that that was coming, right? And it was going to yeah, be- Yeah, they were still trying to recover from Ted Stepien at, at that point still. That's exactly right. And I'm glad you said that because that cycles back to something else is that Cleveland at that time was a laughing stock. And so Cleveland was the butt of jokes. The city went bankrupt in the 70s. The river caught fire. You had Ted Stepien uh, owning the Cleveland Cavaliers. The NBA was literally making the Stepien rule named after our owner to prevent other owners from being shitty. Um, so uh, you 10 had, cent beer night, I think was in Cleveland, right? You had 10 cent beer night. So Cleveland was a laughing stock, And I grew up in the eighties, not really understanding why, because it was just my hometown. I didn't really understand. And I hadn't traveled the country. So I didn't really understand like why, where I lived was bad, but where other people lived was better. And I didn't really get that. All I knew is that if I stayed up late to watch TV, we'd be the punchline of the jokes and the monologue Johnny Carson was delivering. And I've told you this story before. I'll never forget watching the AFC championship game on NBC in 1986 and Frank DeFord, not, not Frank Gifford, not Kathy Lee's husband, but Frank DeFord, the, the columnist gave an op-ed prior to the game where he called Cleveland the mistake on the lake. 
and trotted out all the Cleveland jokes. He wasn't telling jokes. He was using them in a disparaging way. And basically, and I'm, I'm watching this as a kid at the time in the sixth grade. And I'm like, which is like what, 12 years old. And I'm like, why is this guy bagging on Cleveland? Like I didn't get it. You know, I just knew I had heard it my whole life. So I think to make a long story boring, when you put all that stuff into a soup where you have a town that's like ensconced in negativity, and then you have this team that was kind of the New York Yankees of football just 30 years earlier, kind of emerge again and kind of captured the city's heart and imagination. And, you know, the Browns are Cleveland. The game was invented in Northeast Ohio. And so it just felt like, like a resurgence, like we mattered again. I remember the Browns leading the news. They were the lead news story in 1986, like every freaking week, man. It was like the Browns mattered. They were the thing, you know? So, so I think just Bernie just rode that wave. I mean, having the hometown kid kind of leading it, it just, it just all fit, you know? Yeah. And he's never going to be, I mean, anytime you ever hear anybody talk about, you know, the national guys, when they talk about, you know, the great, the court, the great quarterbacks, you know, they, they might talk about, you know, that one year when Kozar made the, made the pros, when made the pro ball and he was impressing everybody with all of his, you know, all the, all the passing shit that he did during the pro ball. Remember all that, all the, all the little quarterback skills, things that they were doing and throwing through tires and yep. all that bullshit. I mean, they talk about that when they talk about Kozer, and 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 maybe you might talk about the fact that he was dating Elle McPherson for a while. Fact, she was <laughs> she was a, she was a piece of work back in the day. Look her up. Anybody who wants to know who that is, um, if you don't don't already know. But uh, be, besides that, in that cool ass fucking orange poster with him with the flight suit on, remember yeah. that that cool ass top with some like a like a top air raid the air raid poster yep. that's right uh, aside from that nobody is ever gonna the, the 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 national people are never gonna put him in the list of the the great quarterbacks right They're, nobody's ever gonna do that because his his stats are just not there right he does he didn't he didn't win any super bowls but dan marino didn't either but dan marino ripped off fifty thousand yards passing kozar didn't have that type of a career but but to us, he's he to, to Cleveland fans, he fucking transcends all of that. He just for some reason, he just tickled everybody's fancy and just just struck the chords just in the right way, right at the right time. And everything that you said happened like everybody banging on Cleveland because it's such a shithole. But you know what? When I was a kid, it, when I was like in single digits um, in the 70s. My, 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 my aunt used to watch me when my mom was working and my dad was working. And so my aunt, like sometimes when I would, she would like when as a, as a, like a little, little kid, she used to drive me around the flats in the seventies. And we used to, we used to go like, just drive around downtown Cleveland, just looking at it. And, and, and it was a shithole, but, but, <laughs> and, but it's our, it's like this conversation we had with Joe Thomas last week about, about 
him saying like embracing the clevelandness right cleveland right. was cleveland for a long time was a fucking shithole and that's a fact but it was our shithole and i love this shithole and i wouldn't have it any other way it's like i feel like in people here in cleveland who love cleveland love it because it was a shithole I can't explain that, Scott. You know exactly what I'm talking. Maybe you can explain it better than me, but ex- try to explain to the non-Cleveland people out there why we love the shithole and it, we love it more because it was a shithole. I don't have a way to explain it, but maybe you can. I, I don't know if I'm up to that challenge. It's just like I think you said it. Might have said it last week about how your own baby is never ugly. I, I'm paraphrasing a little bit, but did I, did <laughs> well, I mess it up? <laughs> no, that's true. Your own baby's never ugly. Like your but own farts don't stink, man. That's they the don't. They, they, actually, they don't. Mine don't smell at all, and your feet don't smell either. But, <laughs> but what's funny about the Browns is is that you talk about Cleveland being a shithole. You know when Cleveland turned it around was. It was actually the Gateway Project. It was ironically the very thing that drove the Browns out of town. The very thing that cost us the Browns is the thing that turned Cleveland around. Because if you think about the difference in Cleveland. The irony in that, right? There is irony. Because Rico, what I'm saying is the Browns have never been a part of a rejuvenated Cleveland. Because the Gateway Project, when they built at the time the Gund Arena and Jacobs Field, Remember what Cleveland looked like in 1994 when that Jacobs Field opened, the the home opener, when when Wayne Kirby hit the extra inning. Remember that hit? Bill Clinton flew through uh, throughout the first pitch, and Cleveland was the Cleveland was the jewel. And that stadium, like the fucking clouds parted on Jacob's field and like Jesus Christ himself was smiling down on the field. It, that's, that's how magical it was. It really did. And those toothbrush lights on that stadium changed yes. the Cleveland skyline forever and, and made Cleveland that stadium just <laughs> improved the downtown getting the, the Cleveland Indians out of Cleveland Municipal Stadium that dump yeah. and putting them in that beautiful ball field downtown, yep. a field that still holds up today. Sure does. Changed everything. Yeah. It changed the fortunes of downtown Cleveland. And so then we lost the Browns and the Browns, and we rushed that shithole that the Browns play in now. So the Browns have never been a part of a rejuvenated Cleveland. And Cleveland really has either been status quo or has been ascending and improving ever since. And is it's a pretty nice looking city now, you know? Yeah, um, dude, it certainly is. But that's a great point, man. Like they've been Cleveland's been chasing it ever since they left. Yeah. And you're right, that gateway project was just like that that was like the beacon of Cleveland. That that is the exact moment when Cleveland was not the burning river anymore. That's exactly that right. Moment. And and moment. the the then Indians did what the Browns did in the 80s was they starting in 1994 went on a tear. And of course, 94 got shortened by the strike, but 95 they went a hundred games and 144 and go to the World Series. And we don't have the Browns anymore, but we're drunk on the Cleveland Indians because we'd never seen winning baseball in our life. 
And we had one of the nicest ballparks at the time in the entire game. And so guys true. wanted to come and play here. If you remember, true. it wasn't That's hard true. to entice people to come play in that park because it true. was sold out every damn day for 400. What was it? 455. Every game. How many in major league baseball, how many teams play in front of a sellout crowd every single day? Think about the, think about the number. 455 consecutive sellouts. Think it's about crazy. That. That's insanity. Yeah. And insanity. Th that's, that's a community that was starved for winning sports yeah. and to have something like a crown jewel, some kind of beautiful facility, something to be proud of. And yeah. we could be proud of that baseball park and we could be yeah. proud of the team that played in it. Right. But the Browns, they rushed the the first energy, and at the time, Cleveland Brown Stadium, they rushed that thing back to try to get us a team. We were awarded a team, but the Browns have never appropriately got to be a part of a rejuvenated Cleveland. I mean, hopefully, Jimmy Haslam and Mayor Bibb can make that happen, but it's time the Browns joined the Cavs and the Guardians in having a nice home in Cleveland, Ohio. And yeah. if Cleveland can get that nice home, then it kind of does the gateway thing again one more time, right? For sure. Yeah, because what what's in deep, 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 deep down in the bowels of people's psyches, if the Browns wind up, you know, doing some things in the next in the next year or two, like starting this year, if they start to turn it around this year, what it would deepen the bowels of people's minds are going to be like, yeah, man, the Browns are turning around, but they play in a fucking vanilla ass shithole. That, that stadium is just a piece of ass dude. And it's not going to be quite as crispy as if they had a nice new beacon, like Jacobs field. Now progressive field back when that ballpark opened, they need something. They need a nice new house, man. And spending, I'm sorry, spending, an ass load of money to renovate a shithole is like putting lipstick on a fucking pig, man. And yeah. they need to just get rid of that thing and just yep. start over and have something that they can be proud of because putting lipstick on that pig, you're never going to be really proud of it. You're just trying to put lipstick on a pig. They need exactly what you said. They need the same effect that they that the Indians now Guardians got from when it was Jacobs Field first opened. The whole Gateway Project fucking turned it all around, and yeah. it was just it, it, you get that positive vibe. It's just that vibe that that thing that that indescribable thing that gets into your brain and it gets into your gut and it gives you the incentive to move a little bit faster and a little bit longer and a little bit harder right and that's what the browns need and and fine if it's if it's a new stadium that matters it really really matters don't you think yeah absolutely and and if and the argument is is that you don't just simply you know, throw money at the existing one, you, you rebuild, you demo and rebuild because that will be transformative. You know, if you can, like I said, Jacobs field permanently transformed the Cleveland skyline <laughs> with those toothbrush lights. And if the Browns can do the something similar, you know, that'd be, that'd be great. And frankly, the Browns, I love, I love the guardians, but the Browns deserve it. The Browns are Cleveland, you know, so they, they need that signature kind of like that signature spot within the city, you know? Yeah, man. Um, I mean, yes, the Brown, the, 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 the Cavs have a championship and the Indians have, a, um, 
Indians now Guardians have a World Series. They do. It's been a while, but they, the Browns don't have a Super Bowl. But let's not mistake anything. This is a Browns town. It's a football town. The all of everything north of Columbus will just go fucking nuclear if the Browns win a Super Bowl, like nothing anybody's ever seen. And, it, and it, you're right. This is it'll be, it's going to be different if the Browns can can do that. Just and different. let's let's do this. Let's tie it all up before we wrap. I mean, Bernie yeah. Kosar is still here. You know, still. he's to your point. He's still living here. He's still with us. I saw him on Fox News uh, recently doing a hit about uh, CTE. So he's been making the uh, news rounds, speaking on it. He sounded great. He's he's yep. doing some great advocate work, yep. but. He has experienced head trauma, so not to get grim here in the in the waning moments of the podcast, but we just lost Jim Brown, and the team never got it done so that Jim Brown could see this team win a Super Bowl. So can we get it done while Bernie Kosar is still around? You know, before Jesus Christ, I hope so. Can we get it done? Because Bernie's still here. It'd be great to see Bernie be a part of it, don't you think? Yeah, and you know the other thing since we're since we're doing that. Let, not only do we need to get it done while he's still alive, but I, I, I don't, I don't care what happened. I don't care what the circumstances were with this fucking bet that he made that got him fired from the organization. But can, can, can we just put that the rest already? That's the most asinine thing ever. The, the bet that he made when sports betting became legal in Ohio, he made a bet. He bet on the Browns, by the way, it was a charity bet that he made on the Browns, not against them for charity. And he got fired for it. And that's the most ridiculous fucking thing ever. That dude needs to get brought back into the organization and embraced for the, for what he has done for this, for this part of Ohio. So they need to, they need to fix that dude. Yeah. It's a PR blunder that the Haslam's need to correct. And I mean, he is the signature alum of the franchise. And so they need to embrace him in a big, big way. I mm -hmm. think this, this off season is going to be all about Joe Thomas and it's going to be all about remembering Jim Brown and, you know, and it's going to be about Joe Thomas going into the hall of fame, but don't sleep on Bernie Kosar. Take care of Bernie. Um, don't let those bad feelings linger. He's too good of an ambassador for the city and for the sport to, to let that go South. Amen, brother. All right, man. Let's wrap. I mean, Good not rounds. wrap, but let's, well, yeah. I mean, we can wrap, but I mean, I'm not, my freestyle is not very good, so it, it won't come off very good. Maybe you can freestyle a little bit. Uh, one, two, three, and two, the four. Snoop Doggy Dog and Dr. Dre is at the door. <laughs> no, let's right? not talk. Snoop Dog's a Steelers fan. We don't, oh, we don't yeah, wanna... you're right. He Steelers is. Steelers fan. Fuck, He's dude. kind of a front runner, though, don't you think? He just kind of pulls for whoever. Yeah, to the two most famous Browns fans, you know who they are, right? Oh, the gosh. two most famous Browns fans ever. Ready? Do you forget? Drew Carey. No, nope, 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 nope. Condoleezza Rice. Yeah, Hank well, Aaron. Okay, Hank Aaron was a Browns fan. Yeah, I didn't and know that. because all those games were broadcast back in the day in Georgia. Hank Aaron said he used to sit in the dog. I didn't know pond. that. Yeah. No, no, I didn't know that. I didn't know Hank. Same Aaron reason Condi Rice is because all those well, games yeah. with Jim Brown were broadcast in the South. Well, yeah. Remember, she was going to be the GM or something like that. <laughs> yep. Hold on. <laughs> Brad Paisley. Uh, true, but no, he is a Browns fan. Uh, Monica Potter. 
Uh, Martin Mull. Martin Mall. <laughs> Forgot about Martin Mall. <laughs> Forgot about that. Poor Martin Mall. I'll, I'll give I'll him. give you one of I'll give you one of them. You ready? Hold on. I'm working through the list. Okay, who right, is it? On. No, go ahead. Keep, no, keep go working. ahead. I'm I'm out of ideas. All right, here's one of one of one of two. John F. Kennedy Jr. No. Browns fan. Uh Elvis Presley. The other one, that is correct. Yeah, because all yeah. those games were broadcast in because the, the Browns were the best team in the NFL during that time period. Right. So that, right again, when he was president. But this talks about like building a fan base and re and capturing a, a new fan base that you might have lost. That's right. Uh, that it doesn't take much, man. Those no. eight years of Bernie did it, broadcasting some games in the South when the team was good did it. Uh, you know, it doesn't take much. If this team can come out and win this year, it'll go a long way to bringing some fans back to this franchise. Oh, it'll be it'll be crazy town in here in Northeast Ohio for sure. JFK Jr. Huh. Yeah. No, no, no. Not junior. Uh th- like President John. F. Oh, Kennedy. President Kennedy. That's what I meant. Not junior. I meant th- I, uh, sorry, I fu- I fucked up. The president, John F. Kennedy. Brown's oh, Brown. interesting. Okay. Yeah. All right. Brown's. I got some good hey, that yeah, that's what hey, if I'm wrong on that, I'm sure that I don't get annihilated for it, but I don't think that I am on that. I think I think I saw that in more than one spot. Well, I think I saw, and you you out there can check my work, but Hank Aaron was a Browns fan and used to actually come to games and sit in the dog pound. In the dog pond, right. Well, now he's got, you know, he's not alive anymore, but, no. you know, somebody can uh, drape one of the new dog logos and put it on his, you know, <laughs> it's on his memorial. The dog pound attendance has become like Len Barker's perfect game where like everybody's <laughs> been in the dog pound. Oh, Rico. Everybody was there. It was wild. <laughs> I told you I was at the helmet game, right? <laughs> <laughs> i was i was no i really was i was in the dog pond during the helmet game oh, you mean uh when he threw his helmet when we, yeah the, the Dwayne rudd game yes. against the chiefs nice yeah, oh, yes yeah, my name my neighbor had tickets and he's like <laughs> hey you want to go i'm like cool so then he had dog pond tickets so we sat in the dog pond during the helmet game it was fun Right, until well, the end until the end <laughs> until 0.00 was on the clock and we somehow lost <laughs> Jesus yeah, oic baby Oh, I see. All right, go Browns. Go Browns. Cleveland Browns, all day, all night. Ever wonder if rock and roll is dead? Does the music we grew up loving align with modern sensibilities? Or should it be relegated to the dustbin of regrettable rock history? My name is Scott. And this is Rico. We are your rock and roll pathologists. Join us as we take your favorite songs and put them under the knife. Every week on Rock and Roll Autopsy. New episodes every Sunday at midnight, wherever you stream your podcasts. The Rock and Roll Autopsy Podcast.